I think diet culture has had everybody so focused on what not to eat and what to eat less of, but if people really focused on what to eat and when to eat it and the ad before you take away, I really feel like we could move the needle so far in all of the chronic, you know, epidemics we have of disease. And then of course, from a performance standpoint, student athletes are chronically underfueled and under-recovered. And the pro athletes, to be quite honest with you, are often not dissimilar. Welcome to the show where we help you make smart nutrition simple. If you want proven nutrition strategies to help you build a better body and create the energy to show up for your family without overly restrictive and unrealistic dieting, then you're in the right place. Make sure to subscribe and enjoy this episode. We all need to start eating like athletes. At least that's what I gleaned from this recent conversation with performance nutritionist Jill Lane. While most Americans are overfed and undernourished, we're seeing a chronic problem with athletes of all levels being both underfed and undernourished, and it's wreaking havoc on health, performance, and longevity. Today, I'm catching up with Jill Lane, the founder of Fueling Champions and an expert performance nutrition consultant with more than two decades of experience consulting, coaching, and teaching functional nutrition and exercise physiology. She has dedicated her career to helping pro athletes, sports families, sports teams, and high achievers attain max strength, quick recovery, heightened energy, sharp focus, and optimal body fat for peak performance through her unique three-step approach. In this conversation, we talk about Jill's functional medicine approach to performance nutrition and some of the most common issues plaguing both professional and student athletes when it comes to fueling their body appropriately. We talk about relative energy deficiency in sport, REDS, the biggest area of opportunity for improving athletic performance, recommended protein sources, the role of peri-workout nutrition, and so much more. I think that there's so much carryover from sports to nutrition to general population. And so whether you're a weekend warrior or a world-class athlete, I'm confident you'll benefit from this discussion. I hope you guys enjoy. And uh, here's Jill Lane. Jill Lane, welcome to the Smart Nutrition Made Simple show. How are you? I'm super excited to be here. Thanks for having me, Ben. Heck yeah. Thanks for coming on. I'm psyched to have a conversation with you. Always. Happy to connect with other great practitioners in our industry. What's been going on with you? All the things, right? I mean, I think like you, you know, I'm a business owner and a coach consultant and a mom and, you know, trying to also live the life that I teach with, you know, working out and all the things. And so I'm blessed. Life is good. It's an exciting time for my business and my kids and my life. And so, um, yeah, I, I, it's full and I love it. Amazing. And I respect you that much more for all of that because I think it's hard enough, you know, being good at what you do than to be able to do all of that uh, in addition to, you know, have a family and and all of those things that's, you know, it's a task at hand. So help um, our listeners understand a little bit more. Maybe you could give us just a, a brief background because you've been doing this a long time. Um, you're well you know, renowned in our field, what has your kind of career evolution looked like? Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. I've been in our industry for over 20 years and I actually started as an ex-phys major working in cardiac rehab. I thought I was going to be on the flip side of people post, 
you know, cardiac event. So they've had open heart surgery or they've had a a heart attack or some sort of heart event. And I was going to just help them with their exercise and what that looked like for them to get back to their, um, their daily life. And as soon as I finished my internship, I was like, nope, this is not for me. I was just so curious with how the people got there in the first place. Um, because at that time I was doing my internship at a private heart hospital in Southern California and the people who I was taught would be there, lots of people with gray hair on the, you know, in their retirement age, weren't really all the people that were there. There was very young people there. There were, there was people who by looking at them, you would think shouldn't have been there. So there was an amazing dietitian that was working at this heart hospital at the time. And I had, you know, taken nutrition classes, um, in school, but at that time it was, all the things we know now to not be true, low Mm. fat, um, don't eat eggs, um, all the things that were at that time supposed to be good for your heart. And, uh, and it just wasn't adding up to me. Um, so I got really curious about nutrition and I was really blessed, um, to get an offer to just stick around in Southern California where I was at and just start personal training at a country club. And that was where it was just kind of all at for me. I spent 20 years um, playing soccer at a very high level. Mm -hmm. And at that time, my health wasn't really that great. So I was in my internship, post-college, post-division one, you know, scholarship era and trying to take what I had learned to fix myself, but also try to connect the dots between what I learned and what I was seeing out in the real world wasn't matching up. So I took a personal training job at a gym um, with a woman in our industry by the name of JJ Virgin, who was at that time at the forefront of functional medicine, nutrition. And I honestly, Ben was just in the right place at the right time. It was one of the the biggest blessings of my life from a career standpoint, because I got to hang around with the pioneers of functional medicine 20, 22 years ago as like a 20, early twenties, totally green, horrible personal trainer, just trying to get my arms around what was really going on with exercise endocrinology. And how does this, how does food really impact our heart and our metabolism and our weight? And what did I not learn as a student athlete to help with performance? Cause I was tired all the time. I hadn't had my period, you know, I could count how many times I'd have my period every year for a decade on one hand. Right. And so it was just a pure curiosity and being at the right place at the right time. It was really just a gift. Um, and so I just spent the last 20 years building on that through my own business and teaching other practitioners and still just trying to do my best to be a student because there's a lot we're still learning. And there's a lot that I think we probably, you and I could probably agree are, is tried and true. And mm-hmm. um so we're just trying to find that middle ground to create change and to help people um, see what's possible. Yeah, that's that's so interesting. And I love that background. And I agree with you. It's so, so much of this is having the right mentors and being in the right place at the right time. And not dissimilar to you, I can recall you know, starting to study functional medicine. It was a little later than you, but it was probably around 2006 of, you know, what is this kind of functional medicine, looking at adrenals and digestive health and organic acids and all of these uh, kind of root components of, of health. And, and, and in fact, by the way, like that's part of why our company is called body systems is because we really have this comprehensive understanding that there's all of these systems that play, but they all work together, right? It's this one big cohesive unit. And 
and especially with allopathic medicine is it gets so compartmentalized and we can't treat the body as such. Um, and so it's, it's really figuring out how to, how to bring everything together. But, um, yeah, I was, you know, working and studying like Paul check and Mm -hmm. Dr. Dan Kalish in San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah, So that's super cool. And, and so how have you leveraged all of that education? Because obviously you specialize in working with, uh, athletes young and, and, and older and professional, you know, these days, but kind of like, what is your day to day in terms of your practice look like right now? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I, I really took exactly what you just said, the understanding that um, performance and health and the metabolism of the body is not compartmentalized. And that's what I was taught. And that's uh, uh, unfortunately still in 2023, what conventional medicine is, the approach a lot of conventional medicine is taking, I'd say probably up until about five-ish years ago, it's how performance nutrition was still being looked at. And so when I really started working with high-profile professional athletes about 15-ish years ago, that's what really made me different. But I, I didn't know it's what made me different, but it's, I think, why my business exploded because I had been taught a functional medicine nutrition approach and I applied that to performance. So if an athlete came to me and they weren't sleeping, they had gut health, if they had signs and symptoms of adrenal mm. fatigue, and a variety of other things, or like you said, organic acids were um, off. I just took that approach because that's how I was trained. And that at that time, for sure, I was the black sheep. I was shunned out of a lot of conversations and, you know, called a lot of things for taking that approach. But I mean, you know, I had uh, most of my athletes at that time stayed with me till their end of their career because it was nobody was doing that. It was very just protein shake, um, you know, pre-workout driven, you know, that was basically performance nutrition at that time. And I'd say up until about five years ago, that was still the conversation. And then finally, some of the bigger entities have had to swallow their own pride to a certain extent, or finally give a nod to the fact that the impact of under recovery and under fueling does um, influence adrenal health and gut health is being influenced by all sorts of metrics related to performance. And I think sleep science is probably one of the bigger things they've been talking about maybe for a little bit longer, but due to tech and all the wearables, you know, the sleep science conversation has been getting interesting. And so finally, some of the bigger groups that influence the performance nutrition industry have started talking a bit more about this kind of functional performance nutrition approach. And so more and more people are doing it, which is great. More and more teams are doing it or providing the testing for their athletes um, so for me, my day-to-day is varies, you know, I've been doing this for 20 years. I'm kind of to the point where now I'm just passing on what I've been taught, um, because I just feel a debt of gratitude to all the people that have poured into me over the years. And I've just done a lot of my own hard work, you know, learning and, you know, going to conferences and trying to understand, you know, what we know and how it will impact um, clients and teams and coaches I get to teach. So I spend a lot of time teaching right now Mm. um, on behalf of other companies or um, um, through my own workshops for parents of student athletes um, or uh, performance centers that get guys ready for the NFL combine, et cetera. So that's really my favorite thing to do because I feel like, feel like I'm passing, um, passing it on. And, um, but I still work one-on-one with, um, pro athletes and I have workshops and an online program for parents of student athletes just to help make sure that the confusion is cleared because social media is really causing a lot of havoc 
both for pro athletes and for parents of student athletes. When I was growing up, you know, none of that was around. And so my parents' ignorance around food was just lack of information. Totally. A lot of stories about what that meant for me. One of them included an emergency room ride. Um, oh, no. Ambulance trip to the emergency room. Now it's utter information overload, which impacts, you know, everybody negatively. And so um, parents and even the pro athletes aren't really sure who to follow, sure. what to do, you know, if they should always be doing the same thing all the time, what mom and dad should be doing versus if it is, is it the same for what right. their athletes should be doing? So that's what I spend my time doing is just sorting through all of that. Totally. And it's a big job because I think there's a preconceived notion around, especially when we talk about athletes and especially professional athletes is like, to the lay population and to general population, and even to, to to coaches, is there's this perception that professional athletes, one, are already doing something that is either secret or special or more elite, if you will, for lack of a better term, hmm. and or they should be doing something that is that much more comprehensive or elite than what the general population is doing. Now, what are your observations of of sort of that thought process? It's a complete mixed bag. And what you said is accurate. There are many pro athletes who don't know how to feel themselves correctly still. Right. Today. And there are many that are following something they saw on social media that they thought would be right for them. Just, you know, out of a lack of just innocent ignorance, like not knowing any better, and it may or may not be working for them. And then there are some who've um, do have like dialed in people, like have a nutrition coach like myself or, and you know, all the mobility yeah, people. Yeah. They have yeah. a whole team yeah. around them helping right. them. It goes all the way from, they don't know what protein is to, they have a full staff that, and a chef that takes care of everything. And it, it's all over the map in every league. So you'd be surprised. <laughs> you'd be surprised um, what they know and what they don't know, to be quite 100%. honest. Yeah. And I've been very surprised over the years of just sort of the lack of information. I'm not going to say negligence, but just sort of like, what a missing component. Like we obviously, you and I can agree what a pivotal component nutrition and, and lifestyle is on sport performance and recovery. Um, and, and obviously overall health, but just what a missing component it is in sports in general from at, at every single level. Yeah. Right. It's, it's yeah. just like low hanging fruit that is being completely missed. And, and it is, I think getting a lot better, but just the varying degrees of, of some programs that are not doing literally anything where you have organizations that are, are doing comprehensive testing and, you know, blood work and yeah. functional medicine stuff and have experts like you, you know, consulting with. So what, what do you think are kind of, when we talk about low hanging fruit, what are the things that you see with athletes of all levels that are relevant for most of our listeners as a general population, you know, who are interested in feeling better, having more energy, um, getting leaner, supporting more lean muscle tissue that really has a strong carryover. Yeah, no, I'm glad you framed it up like that because I was going to say what plagues them is what plagues us all. It's Without question. Up yeah, it's it's eating enough of the right food at the right time. It's not about um, what not to eat. And it's about eating enough of the mm. right food at the right time. 
I think um, diet culture has had everybody so focused on what not to eat and what to eat less of. And it's this always framed up and not and less and not and less and shame and not and less. But if people really focused on what to eat and when to eat it and the mantra of like the ad before you take away and put the stuff in that you need, that's just like uber nourishing. I, I really feel like we could move the needle so far and just our all of the chronic, you know, epidemics we have of disease. And then of course, from a performance standpoint, that's always where we start. Right. Student athletes are chronically underfueled and under recovered. And the pro athletes, to be quite honest with you, are often not dissimilar to the student athletes. So it's always what to eat at what time. Because I want to dig into this this idea around, you know, energy uh, deficiency and 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 being underfueled. Because I think that you make such a great point that is important in my mind for our listeners to think about. Is like at at no other time in history have we been so overfed and undernourished. Right. And, and I think for athletes, perhaps it's a little bit different of, of simply being underfed and undernourished and, and perhaps overtrained to some degree. But nonetheless, is we are uh, chronically undernourished. And so flipping the script in our minds around how do I eat less food to how can I actually eat more food, more nutrient dense food that's going to help fuel me so that I can feel better, so that I can train harder, so that I can perform better and support more lean muscle tissue and perpetuate that side of the coin than the less is more, Hmm. you know, approach. The biggest context or the context I would put around that question would be something I'm kind of, I've been teaching. uh, I mean, I think I first started teaching at an NSCA event, gosh, maybe almost 10 years ago um, is uh, something called REDS Mm -hmm. um, or you mentioned energy uh, availability. So REDS stands for relative energy deficiency in sport. And really what REDS is, is chronic low energy availability. So if I can just for a minute, break that down. So energy availability is the available energy, which is calories from food that your body has to run its metabolic function every day. Um, But what's subtracted from that, as soon as you become active or athletic, is the calories that are also then needed for sport or activity or training or movement. And so energy availability really is your energy intake minus your energy use or expended from exercise. It's an equation that equals the energy that's left over for your metabolism. So basically calories left to run BMR, your basal metabolic rate, and just your general daily needs, you know, the things your musculature to pump your heart and just do the normal stuff. So that group of calories, that energy availability that's left over for people that are underfed, because remember the first part of the equation is the calories you eat per day. So let's say you eat 1200 calories per day and you train and you burn 400 calories, let's just say. Now, the, none, none of this is exact. It, you know, it, there's no real exact way to measure energy intake and energy output. You know, even in a scientific lab, it's not perfect. If they're, have you hooked up to all the things on the treadmill, they can get right. close, but it's rarely perfect. So 1200 minus 400, 800, that's 800 calories left 
for the um, available energy for your body to use to run itself every day. Well, that's not a lot. And most people's BMR is above that, their basal metabolic need. Um, so we would call that a, you know, energy deficit. And if you have a chronic energy deficit or chronic low energy availability, your body, our body is insanely and uniquely and beautifully made to protect itself. And so it starts dialing down metabolic processes right. to protect for the fact that it doesn't have enough energy to run them. And so hormones, metabolic rate, Digestion, uh, brain digestion, function, yeah. brain function, mood chemicals, all the things that we use calories and the, the macronutrient breakdown components to build all gets shunted down. And so it's been about a decade since the International Olympic Committee has morphed the female athlete triad into this concept of REDS, okay. relative energy deficiency in sport. Um, but there's some beautiful papers um, by author, last name Montjoy, that have these colorful bubbles. Um, that show all of the metabolic effects of REDS and then all the performance effects of it, things like loss of strength, loss of endurance, coordination issues, focus issues. And so as a parent of a student athlete or someone work with athletes, you see that. We see that in athletes all the time. You're like, how come they're, my program is good, but they're not progressing or they're skilled, but they're playing horribly. And the old school coach would always just like, yell at little Johnny and think he's not giving good effort, but poor little Johnny is just literally out of gas because he doesn't have enough energy availability. The crazy thing about this with student athletes and the problem with it and why I talk about it all the time is that a component of energy availability in student athletes goes to growth and development, a large component of it. So not eating enough calories over a period of time in a student athlete absolutely affects growth and development with bone structure, muscle strength. And then again, key hormone development that's happening during that time. The brain doesn't stop developing until the early twenties, especially for males. And so chronic low energy availability and like subclinical reds is a problem for student athletes for that reason. And then of course, in the professional athlete world, reds looks like potentially repeated injury, illness, slowness to heal from injuries. And then of course, poor performance and coordination issues and, and the like. Um, but it's also in the general population because diet right. culture is like less calories, less calories, less calories, more training, more training, more training. And so that um, deficit gets skewed so badly, but I know people will be like, well, wait, Jill, that's what they tell us. We have to eat less and exercise more. The latest paper on RADS was just published this year from the British Journal of Sports Medicine. It's been about every five years they do an update. And what I appreciated about this latest paper is that they did have a, a carve out. They have like different types of RADS, if you will. And now they have a carve out for um, acute bouts of energy deficit that you might be intentionally um, embarking on for body composition shifting, but it's acute, meaning it's time it. and, and we know that there's things you can do like in higher intake of protein during that time to preserve right. muscle mass. And so long story short, you have to, in my opinion, if you work with people, especially if you work with athletes, especially if you work with student athletes, you have to understand reds. You have to understand chronic low energy availability. You have to understand all of the things that it does. And you have to understand that it doesn't take weeks and months and months. It can happen within a week's period. Um, the metabolic shifts start to happen 
really soon, even on bone metabolism and, and all sorts of things like that. So um, I speak about it a lot. It's a passion of mine. I believe I had reds as a student athlete. Um, mm-hmm. And it's why it took me so long to kind of heal myself when my career was over. And um, so that was a very long no, no, no. It's, answer it's, to your question, but it's part of really where we find ourselves with performance nutrition and nutrition as a whole right now, I believe. Absolutely. And I think that there's so much carryover to that concept with general population, with this sort of intentional chronic energy deficiency um, that's created by virtue of sort of the desire to drive weight loss and um, the impacts on metabolic output, right? We we talk about I've I've spoken many times on this show around the impact on on metabolism from chronically undereating and overexercising and the essentially downregulation of metabolic processes uh, of uh, out of virtue of just survival mechanisms, which is an incredible aspect of the body. But you hit the nail on the head when you said it's acute deficit, and that's what we're seeing in the research is that it really needs to be only an acute um, implementation to avoid the negative potential negative implications that the body undergoes. Because for a lot of people, what we see is this massive pendulum swing, right? Because athletes and, 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 and general population are also losing lean muscle tissue through this process and a considerable amount of lean muscle tissue to the degree that the body's pushing back to drive that in increasing lean muscle mass but also creating, you know, this concept of uh, collateral fattening of this mm-hmm. fat hyperphagia and, and, and significant increase in fat tissue beyond where people started from. And so I think it's so relevant uh, on, from all standpoints in terms of why we need to shift the thinking into how can we eat more of the right foods? We can still respect calorie balance. Um, relative to performance, but we also need to understand the implications of actually getting enough nutrition, regardless of what the goals are. Hey friends, quick pause in this episode for an exciting announcement. I'm thrilled to let you know that we've officially partnered with Fullscript to create our own very high-end quality supplement store. Fullscript is the number one online dispensary for professional-grade supplements. Now, as you probably have realized, the internet is the Wild West when it comes to supplements, and it's tough to find many of the best products from a reliable source and at an affordable price. I've heard many stories of people ordering something off Amazon and receive something completely different in the bottle, which can actually be quite dangerous when it comes to nutritional supplements. And so in the BSL Nutrition Fullscript Dispensary, we've hand-selected a few dozen of our personal favorites, and we've broken them into easily searchable categories, including Ben's favorites. Now, the best part of this situation is that due to the buying power of groups, we're able to get you a 15% off retail pricing on the entire catalog of professional products in our shop. These are brands like Designs for Health, Biotics, Research, Biobotanical Research, Microbiome Labs, Seeking Health, and more. 
So just click on the Join BSL Nutrition Supplement Shop in the show notes to create your free account and place your first order. Orders over $50 receive free shipping on top of our 15% discount on everything. And just so you know, the criteria we use to determine what went into the shop is, is the product something we would recommend and or take ourselves and give to our kids? Is the product of the highest quality? And can we provide a lower cost than is available anywhere else on the web? Now, we sincerely hope this helps you save money and acquire the highest quality products for you and your family. And let's get back to the show. What I'd love to do is speak to kind of nutrition specifically for youth, uh, because I think it's relevant for all of us to hear in terms of how do we effectively fuel. So we have a lot of parents listening. How should we be looking at fueling our children from a not just sport performance, but just a general growth, health, productivity, cognitive function standpoint, um, what would be like the general recommendations on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I think before I ever get into the weeds with food, when I'm talking to parents of student athletes, I first have to talk about the approach. Because I believe if you don't take the right approach with food with your kids, especially if there's any sensitivity around weight happening, maybe, you know, if you have a preteen adolescent girl or even boy, because boys do struggle with body image, especially now more than ever than social media approach matters. And so the way you talk about food matters. So a few things I want to address there first one, I already said, but I think it's imperative that the approach is add before you take away. So I don't believe in, nor do I teach, um, and nor is it the process that I use with anybody. I don't care if you're an NFL veteran or a 13-year-old swimmer, um, that you should focus on what they have to stop doing. Um, so if you think the right approach is to stop going to fast food or stop you know, buying them soda, while maybe that will be helpful potentially in the long run, it shouldn't be where to start. And we know that that's a failed concept because it's not working in general population either. As an adult, if you think about someone giving you that approach and if that would work for you, most people can't sustain, you know, coaching with that approach. So let's approach our kids in a different way. Um, Another, the other thing that's really important is to understand what their goals are. And so if you're talking about a student athlete, this becomes a little bit easier, but a lot of parents actually don't know what their student athletes' personal goals are. Of course, parents have goals, (laughs) we have a lot of goals for our student athletes because we're paying all the money for the teams and we want to get our money's worth. But, but sitting down and talking to your student athlete about, do they have a goal for that season? Do they have like, what would, what would they really love to accomplish? Is there something that they feel that's important to them? Is it getting a starting position? Is it getting more minutes? Is it mastering their free throw or increasing their percentage on something? Is it cutting a couple seconds off their lap time? Like getting really into the weeds with, is it building strength? Is it adding more pounds? That's, I think, the most common request amongst adolescent and teenage boys. You know, I want to get stronger. I want to add 10 pounds of mass, you know, in a month. So without that context, it'll be really difficult for habit change. And so that's what we're trying to do, right? We're trying to get some habit change. So first, we have to know what their goals are. We need to know, we need to hear their words and we need to remember how they say it. And then we have to take the approach of add before you take away. So now that we know their goals and we know how their approach is, 
Um, the biggest deficits or the biggest areas of opportunity I see with student athletes unilaterally across the board, any sport or gender or whatever is they don't eat enough for breakfast and they don't eat enough around training. And so the easiest places to start are at breakfast and in the hours around training. And for some student athletes, that's a couple times per day that they train. And for some, it's one, sometimes it's at school, sometimes at night, sometimes it's before school. And so write down your student athletes schedule and do it with them. Um, I do this a lot on the workshops that I do with parents of student athletes and teams. Write it out because as parents, again, we're kind of just, you know, stuck in this carnival ride of getting them to all this stuff. But sometimes we have to even stop ourselves and say, okay, Susie gets up at seven. She has to be to school at 830. You know, like where, where are all the opportunities for fueling? Right. And then you can kind of reverse engineer going back to those spaces. So at breakfast, most kids don't eat enough. And I'm just making some general statements. So most kids don't eat enough at breakfast and most kids only eat carbohydrates at breakfast. Yep. And so because we're taking the add before we take away approach, the easiest thing to do is just add protein to breakfast, get some protein in breakfast. General window, again, very generalized statements, somewhere between 15 and 30 grams of protein. It How much exactly is going to depend on their goals, their current body weight, how much they're training, how old they are. A variety of things come into play there, but somewhere between 15 and 30 grams of protein. Just work on adding yep. that. People aren't having any issues with carbohydrates at breakfast. I'm not going to no. even get into the fact that they're eating lucky charms. I would rather just get a protein shake with those lucky charms sure. first than go off the rails about the food dyes and all the things that are in the lucky charms and take that approach. And that's the general approach that's being taken in nutrition right now. And it's why we're failing miserably. It's why we're sicker than we always been. We're still underfed and overfed and undernourished, like you said. So we need a new approach. So let's add the nourishing food. And then the other stuff kind of usually magically just slowly transitions its way out once you start to feel better because you're adding nourishing food. So add protein to breakfast. What would typical protein sources be that you'd recommend? Yeah. At breakfast, you know, there's a typical things like eggs cooked anyway. Um, I am a big fan of turkey bacon, not because I don't like regular bacon, but because it has more protein in it. So high quality turkey bacon generally has about as much protein per slice as an egg. If you flip over the package of turkey bacon at the store and it has less than five grams of protein per slice, then it is not good turkey bacon. In fact, that usually means that it's more other weird ingredients than turkey in the slice. And so it should be about five to six grams of protein per slice, which is great because then that math adds up quick, a couple eggs, a couple slices of turkey bacon, boom, you're, you know, right around 20, 25 grams of protein, super easy. Um, protein shakes, as I mentioned, if there's no dairy sensitivities, then, you know, a a great organic cottage cheese or a Greek yogurt. Um, I have kids mixing protein powder in a Greek yogurt to bump up the protein content of those and making like a a protein yogurt parfait. They might throw berries on it. They might throw some nuts on it. It's quick. It's easy. They can eat it in the car on the way to school if they need to. I mean, it's just the reality of their life. And so you have to choose your battles. Um, I might like, might not like it that they eat in the car, but I'd rather get the protein in than not. So those are some things. And then if some kids don't care, they might eat chicken breast 
leftover from night the night before um, yep. from dinner or a turkey burger patty or two. You know, they're six bucks at Trader Joe's. You can get four turkey burger patties in a box or four grass-fed beef patties in a box and you can cook them all up, pull out two. That's roughly 40 grams of protein. Again, grab some fruit um, or, um, you know, some instant oatmeal if you have the ability to, cut, you know, quickly add some hot water to that. Right. It doesn't right. have to be fancy. Great it's just tips. what you'll do. Great tips. Great tips. And and um, what what role do you see what are your observations of the role that the parents play in setting the example for the kids to be able to do these things? It's huge, right? Um, it's, I mean, I'll start first with don't expect your kids to do something that you're not going to do. Totally. Um, you know, I've, I have two teenagers and a sixth grader. And so I'm speaking to myself when I say this, I, I hear my own coaching when I say these things and I'm conflicted all the time myself by making sure that what I'm expecting of my kids, I'm also doing, you know, I'm getting to the gym and I'm trying to do my best with certain things. We're not perfect. And that's the third adage. So I teach three adages. Um, when I work with parents of student athletes, it's the ad before you take away, understand yep. what their goals are. And the third one is consistency, not perfection. And sports people get this. You practice your skills, you practice your sport all the time. You're not perfect at it all the time, but the more you practice, the better you get. Food is the same way. Perfection is not achievable, but if we're consistently making an effort and being thoughtful and planning ahead, we get better and better at it. And that's all we need to be doing is just getting better and better at it. And so don't expect perfection because as parents, we're not going to be perfect. So we shouldn't expect that from our kids. So the first is don't expect your kids to do what you're not going to do. If you're not going to make time for breakfast, if you're not going to give up the sodas, if you're not going to give up fast food, then don't expect your kids to do it because they're watching you. Even if you think your teens don't care and are not interested in you because they're teens, they are still watching and listening to everything you say and do. So as a parent, you are in a leadership role more than ever as a parent of a teen. So that's really important. And so there's an opportunity for parents and kids to jump into this together and be like, you know what, I'm going to start doing this with you too, because I want to get stronger, or I'm going to start going to the gym and lifting, or I'm going to, you know, do X, Y, Z. One thing I will say um, is that I really try hard not to use the words diet and healthy when I teach. Because what I'm talking about right now is not going on a diet. Nobody does diets. Athletes never diet. And I don't work with gen pop and body comp and weight loss anymore. But even when I did, we weren't going on diets. We're working on making better choices with our food to accomplish a goal and, you know, a variety of other things. And healthy doesn't mean anything to anybody. You could line up a hundred people and they would all give you a different definition of healthy. And it's very ambiguous and it seems really unattainable. Maybe people are a little more dialed in post pandemic to what healthy is, but kids certainly aren't going to do. So saying, Hey, Jimmy, I need you to eat two eggs and two turkey bacon at breakfast because that's what's healthy for you is like, forget about it. That's not going to move the needle with your kids. But if you say, Hey, Jimmy, you've been working so hard at the gym. I just want to acknowledge you for that. And the eggs and the bacon um, that I got, you know, you said you were working on getting stronger. Remember when we talked about like, you know, what you need to eat to like for the math to work out, you know, these things help that go together. So again, you know, their goal, 
And so you talk to the food helping their goal specifically. Um, so healthy doesn't sell. I would argue healthy doesn't sell to anybody, but especially not to our student athletes. So um, parents have to model it and then they have to know the student athletes goals so they can mirror it back. And then they're buying the food most of the time, right? If your kid's not driving, you're buying their food. And so just slowly transitioning the food. Um, if you're like, oh, I don't know, my kid's a picky eater. I could go down a whole rabbit hole about that. Or I don't know if I could get him to eat healthier or cleaner. The way you do it is just by slowly upgrading over time and getting them involved with looking for, I mean, I always tell the kids like, use your phone for good. Like if you're not sure if you like a vegetable, go find three recipes online. And then I give that for homework sometimes to my right. students that I work with and work with your parents to try to figure out which one you like. So, you know, we're teaching life skills and, um, you know, that's, that's a big opportunity for a conversation with parents at home. Yeah. I, my goodness, there was so much gold in, in so many different, really great points in, in what you just said. Um, at the end of the day, in my mind, it's terribly unrealistic for you to expect your children to do something that you're not doing. And so when we have conversations with parents that say, well, you know, I don't have time because I need to cook my quote unquote healthy food. And then I need to cook something completely different for my children. Like what precedent are you setting right there? Right. Why is it unreasonable for them to simply eat what you're eating? And, yeah. and what expectations are you putting out there for them? Right. And, and also is really just the idea around, like we talked about at the very beginning is as people who just want to function better, uh, and, and as athletes, there's not necessarily a difference between how we're fueling ourselves. And at the end of the day, if we can all start to fuel ourselves like athletes, right, I think we're actually going to be in a much better position. Obviously I know we're going to be in a much better position because we are going to be actually eating uh, more nutrient dense foods. We're going to be getting enough protein. We're going to be able to think more clearly to say nothing of being able to actually fuel performance, meet our energy demands and and on and on and on. And, you know, like you just expressed is we're giving, we're, we're teaching our children fundamentals of, of, of living the lifestyle that they want to live of how to make better nutrition decisions, how to plan, how to prepare, how to have autonomy over the process right? All of those things are going to be paramount so that you or I don't end up working with a professional athlete who doesn't know what a protein is, right? Or, you know, um, they, they have terrible nutrition behaviors that, you know, we need to completely undo. So um, lots and lots of gold in that. You know, we covered a lot of stuff here. Um, why don't we just take a couple minutes here? And what I'd love to touch on is the concept of peri-workout nutrition, because um, you mentioned, you know, making sure that your athletes have a snack before they practice. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you know what, this might be a good time to infuse your role with designs for sport and talk a little bit about what that looks like. And then how we can generally just be thinking about and, and what the relevance is of peri-workout nutrition. So I do a lot of different types of consulting. My business offers a lot of different types of consulting. And one is just um, to, you know, large companies that are leaders in the performance 
nutrition supplement space, um, you know, for, you know, business owners like yourself or professional teams to utilize tested free of banned substance products to help with athlete um, health and wellness, like we've talked about and the typical things we might consider pre, during and after performance to help with recovery or energy or, or whatnot. So, um, I'm really blessed to be able to teach on their behalf to a lot of amazing, talented strength mm-hmm. coaches and nutrition pros in various positions in the field. And so, like I mentioned earlier, you know, it's just a way for me to give back what I've learned through hard knocks in my own business or just through other professionals I've been blessed to work with. So I do a lot of teaching, um, with designs for sport and I have done that for, um, other companies in our space. and. Uh, it's, it's a great way to honestly meet great people and to share ideas and to learn best practices. And to really, in the end, just find out that this oftentimes the very tried and true stuff is still what is the best and what works. (laughs) So, so let's talk about what's tried and true with Perry workout nutrition. Um, you know, generally speaking, what are the recommendations that you have for athletes around, you know, pre-workout, um, are we talking protein and carbs, is intra-workout nutrition? And we can get, we can be very general, general here. I understand that it's, it always depends and it's a comp- seemingly comprehensive topic, but um, what do you think would be important for maybe the general population to think about as it pertains to this idea around fueling ourselves around our exercise. Yeah, it's great. So one one thing I'll say is that if you're waiting for the pregame meal or the pre-workout snack to get you ready for your workout or your game, um, and that's going to be your general focus that you're already probably behind. And so my athletes and how I like to teach it is you generally should stay well-fueled and hydrated all the time. And so then your pre-game, pre-training lead up is just a top off or a dial in mm, depending yeah. on the intensity or the duration you're about to embark on. And so with that in mind, it kind of changes the context. So it doesn't have to become this, like I'm eating this, like, you know, huge bowl of pasta to fill all my energy reserves you know, in a well-fueled athlete or person, if you've been fueling right, your energy reserves, excuse me, shouldn't be completely depleted. Right. We're just like topping off from, you know, either the last training or even sometimes from the little you may have expended in your warm-up, depending on what warm-up looks like for your sport, um, or just to get you ready to uh, train at a high level, depending on what you'd like to do in your training. And so, Yeah. I mean, ideally in the space, you know, some combination of protein and carbohydrates is ideal. So, uh, you know, for me, um, morning workout, you know, we could get into the weeds on timing, but an ideal situation would be, you know, two to three hours beforehand, you have a meal of carbohydrates and protein. Um, if it's a second half of the day training or competition, you have to decide through your own digestive capabilities, if that could also include vegetables. Um, some people do know they do well with like steak, potato, broccoli, and it's fine. And others broccoli causes them a lot of digestive distress in that pre-training right. competition window. And then what happens in the hour, give or take before training or workout or competition is going to kind of depend on who you are and what you're doing and what your goals are. If you're a high level athlete or an athlete that wants to go out and leave it all on the field, then you're taking in. Uh, topping off of a bit, probably more carbohydrates at that time. And it's quick to digest stuff, 
you know, I'm a big fan of like the applesauce, you know, squeeze pouches and quick stuff like that. Because again, it's just, there's a a little bit of energy expenditure that happened since your last meal and to the, you know, when the whistle blows or whatever for your act, for your training. If you're just, you're just hitting the gym for a training again, are you, is there a body composition goal happening? Are you in a phase of your training where you're, it's a pretty intense lift and you're hitting near your max lifts for most of your reps and sets. And if that's the case, I'm loving a mixture of protein and or amino acids, electrolytes. And then, you know, I, I do feel like a little bit of carbohydrate, even for people who are trying to lose weight yeah. can be helpful. And I spent the first half of my career in gen pop weight loss and I was functional medicine trained and that was shunned upon and frowned on, totally. <laughs> you know, and so that was the biggest thing I had to unlearn when I started 15 years ago, working with athletes, I had to completely understand that athletes need carbohydrates and it's not a question there. The keto athlete research is still, you know, research in my opinion with team sports, it's not an approach we take during the season at all. There might be a time and space for it in the off season and with certain conditions going on, something like that. But Um, Even in general population, especially with women who are historically underfed and undernourished um, and who struggle to get through their lift, especially if lifting is new to them, there may be some certain type of combination of a little bit of protein and carbohydrate, whether that comes from a a supplementation like um, a branch chain and essential amino acid blend with uh, electrolytes and maybe just again, like an applesauce or some berries, you have to kind of try on what carbohydrate your digestion likes before training, then you can go in and do your thing. And then the after window, again, just kind of depends on who you are, what your goal is, and when your next event or training is. Right. So very nutrition, I go back to that, we're eating in an ideal world, a typical normal meal, mostly protein and carbohydrate centric, three-ish. So what about for those that train first thing in the morning, right? Because the biggest struggle of busy parents, you know, maybe we have only from 5 to 6 a.m. or 4.30 to 5.30 a.m. wake up. What do we do? Essential amino acids, electrolytes, some card powder, banana. Yeah. Yes. Um, Mostly because, you know, again, you're to your point, you're waking up and there's little to no prep time before you get in and start moving your body. And so from a digestive standpoint, there's not much that actually can be digested and right. turn into energy that quickly. Carbo, certain types of carbohydrates and then just electrolytes and amino acids that are osmotically absorbed, they take right. very little digestive energy, are really some of the only things that can become usable material in that window of time. And so, yeah, I have a lot of people just shaking in a shaker bottle, yep. all of the things you mentioned, um, a branch chain, and essential amino acid powder, electrolytes with various levels of sodium, dependent upon the person and their sweat rate and all of that. Um, I like a higher sodium content in women I find due to stress level and just, again, kind of chronic dehydration that women do a little better with some of the electrolyte powders that have a little higher sodium content. So like yeah. 500 milligrams or above yeah. per serving. Um, sometimes a carbohydrate powder or just like a half a banana or an applesauce, or again, just try on what it is. Some might be able to tolerate a half of an Ezekiel, 
um, English muffin with some nut butter on it right. and might need that a little bit of kind of weight in the digestion for blood sugar and adrenal hormone um, support um, so that they can, they can feel good while they're training. And then they may have a proper breakfast, you know, within 90 minutes or so after the fact. What I wanted to relay um, and definitely what I was getting at is I think that there's an opportunity to absolutely feel yourself around your training. And I think if you're not, it is a missed opportunity, especially in the context of people generally being undernourished. And so if we're going to take advantage of any time to fuel ourselves, and you know, the other thing is just with respect to being consistent, having a schedule, well, if you're training consistently, which you, you know, most people should be, well, then it gives us that opportunity to drive in nutrition at opportune times when the body's really in a position to be able to effectively absorb it. Yeah. Right. And so it helps us hit our protein goals. It helps us fuel our training. It helps drive faster recovery. And yeah. it also obviously just sets the stage for success there. So um, that's where I think some of the designs for sport products are great in terms of the essential amino acids, electrolytes you know, post-workout protein powder or doing a smoothie or something. And, and that's stuff that we love doing with our kids, um, mm -hmm. for breakfast to make it uh, easy and efficient, um, to help fuel them for the day. So lots of good stuff there. Um, Jill, I want to respect your time. So let's kind of wrap things up here. What's the best place for people to find out more about you? Thank you so much for having me. This has been fun. I know we could talk for hours. The best totally. place for people to connect is just on Instagram at Team Fueling Champions and through my website, jilllane.com. Um, there's a place for comments or inquiries there. Or if you're a parent of student athlete, I just have like a, a free download you can grab with just, uh, um, just how to get started, really. If you... Um, quick recipes. Like I mentioned the schedule, I have a layout for just kind of starting to get your arms around what your schedule really looks like. And then yeah. how to kind of reverse engineer some of the stuff we talked about today. So I have that just up for free at jilllane.com. Um, and so it's a great way for people to get started. Beautiful. Well, I'm going to go download that right now to apply to my gymnast, to my swimmer and, uh, to my son who does all of the sports and, and <laughs> maybe to myself as well. And so we'll have uh, for those of you listening, we'll have that link in the show notes. So just scroll down, grab that uh, from the show notes, plug in your information so you can get that guide. Follow Jill on social. Jill, pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, we'll speak soon. Likewise. Appreciate it. Talk soon. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this content valuable, here are four ways I can help you in your nutrition journey for free. One. Grab a free copy of my Fat Loss Fix Guide at fatlossfixguide.com. Two, join my free group at smartnutritionmadesimple.com. Three, subscribe to my YouTube channel at smartnutritionmadesimpletv.com. Four, leave a five-star rating and positive review so that we can gain access to more nutrition experts ready to share their knowledge with you and ultimately help more people make smart nutrition simple.